And if he knows he's been spotted, he'll expect us to expect him to change course, which is exactly why he'll keep his heading. They don't know that we know they know we know. <laughs> and Joe, you can't say anything. Couldn't if I wanted to. <laughs> To the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about minutes 87 and 88, which begin with two unnamed sailors sizing each other up and end with the Deacon using some interesting logic. Here to help us dissect this intense fight scene happening completely off camera are our special guests today, <laughs> Haley Mervini and Katie Tomini from the Time Warp Radio Podcast. I'm Haley. <laughs> and I'm Katie. <laughs> Welcome. We're so glad to have you here. You guys are so kind to invite us. Seriously. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Our listeners may be familiar with the Time Warp Radio Podcast because I am sure that I have mentioned it on our weekend shows as far as podcasts that I am listening to on the side. And <laughs> between... The scene that we're watching today and the content of the Rocky Horror Picture Show that you two review, mm -hmm. it all kind of fell together because when you think about it, this scene has an off-screen murder fight, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is something you see in Rocky Horror. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You don't really know their names either. Yep. Like at that point, they're like... Mystery who? men. Who is that? And wait, who is that guy that just came out of nowhere? What? <laughs> And at the end of it all, a dead body falls into water. So it all yeah. works. <laughs> <laughs> so Katie and Haley, what kind of experience, what kind of history do you have with Waterworld? Um, well, you see, I have been to the Waterworld show at uh -huh. Universal probably about 50 times. Oh, uh, but I've excellent. also seen the movie a total of once. Uh-huh. <laughs> My first foray into Waterworld was also the Universal Hollywood attraction. <laughs> and then when I watched it and was like Wikipedia reading up on it, it's so interesting that they were released concurrently and that it's so hard a theme park movie because it's intended to be an advertisement for the <laughs> theme park. So one time, one time. I've only seen it one time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's so interesting to think that you saw the stunt show first, because from what I've understood of it, the stunt show is technically a sequel to the movie. Yes, 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 yes. Granted, the setup for the stunt show is frankly ridiculous when you think about the story of Waterworld. <laughs> Why is everybody going back to the atoll? Why are some people alive when they should be dead? But... Mm -hmm. When, you, when you've got all of that as your baseline, and then you go in and be like, oh, so Waterworld is a prequel <laughs> to a 30-minute stunt show. Yeah, I'm yeah, exactly. really curious about <laughs> your initial thoughts on the movie comparing it to the stunt show. Was the movie what you expected? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. There are stunts in the stage show that completely rip off scenes from the movie and explosions galore skadoos galore 
<laughs> Katie doesn't like that I call him Skidoo's. Mm. I think Skidoo is a better name. <laughs> I think that's excellent. But yeah, and there's a splash zone. The entire movie is a splash zone. So I was like watching it and I didn't have the highest of expectations and I didn't hate it. I actually really enjoy the film. You know, it's like an okay movie, but I will say again, I think I said this maybe earlier that it's much more under the surface than (laughs) the primary narrative, I guess. Like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about the miniatures at some point, but (laughs) those were my initial thoughts right after watching it was like, cool, theme park movie. I enjoyed the theme park attraction, so it was like, (laughs) oh, this is fun. Okay, I get where it comes from. I think the big question at the end of the day is, did you have fun with it? Yes. 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 Well, there you go. It did its job. (laughs) (laughs) This movie, it's not the best movie, but it's also not the worst movie. So if you had a good time, yeah. My roommate walked through when I was watching it, and I was like, have you seen Waterworld? And he was like... Once, I think. <laughs> and I was like, cool, you want to watch it? And I think he, he watched maybe 45 minutes of it with me. And they loved it because it's like you could pop in and out. It's a Mad Max movie. So it's fun because it's like the typical trope. He's a bad guy. And he's got he's got a softy interior. Like <laughs> He just needs someone to unlock it. Mm. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, she can change him. She knows that she can change him. Oh, it never works. It, it doesn't. Never it works. really doesn't. No. She has not learned. Nope. They're two different species. Well, and I mean, we have Columbia, who's also trying to change Frank into a one human man. Alien? She has human expectations of him, and I don't know if Columbia even knows that they're aliens. That's iffy. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Because she walks out of the dinner scene when Dr. Scott reveals it to the crew. So she's either privy to it the whole time. Or she has no idea. Right. And she misses the memo. And then her getting antimatter blasted at the end is quadruply heartbreaking if she was like, I didn't even know technology like this existed. What? Let's dive down into the hold of the Trimaran, where we find that the Drifter has pulled a knife on the Mariner, and he's perched on the bed, and he Mm -hmm. moves off of the bunk, because a knife fight is about to break out. The Mariner is standing in the doorway. He's keeping his eyes on the Drifter. I thought up an interesting theory, and it is a ridiculous theory, and one that I don't 100% believe in, but I want to bring it up anyway. Love it. Because we had a really hard time reconciling the Mariner's actions vis-a-vis selling Helen for sex with a stranger. So I had an interesting theory. I was like, okay, how can I justify that? Maybe when the Mariner saw the Drifter bring out the canister of pages, the Mariner was thinking, oh, I should just kill him and take the pages. But he's also a sailor of Waterworld and he lives by a code and you can't just murder people willy-nilly because that makes you a pirate. (laughs) So he had to put the drifter in a situation where he would be the aggressor. And therefore, 
the death of the drifter would just be a matter of self-defense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the mariner could take everything off of this drifter's boat conscience-free. It's the same idea as trying to, like, human logic Frankenfurter's actions. Like, the mariner is ultimately half... I'm, I was calling him a merman when I was watching it. It's a merman, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, <laughs> merman. <laughs> merman. Now I'm thinking about Zoolander because that scene is so good in Zoolander <laughs> where water is the essence of moisture and beauty. Um, <laughs> Haley is <anyway>. easily derailed. <laughs> I guess if we're trying to think that he is trying to abide by a mariner's code... Yes, but I too found issue with him. Who is this guy that just randomly shows up and then he's like, sure, yeah, half an hour. Like, did he come up with the plan after the fact? Because then we see like his collections of archived documents, you know, and maybe he looks at it and is like, these are completely worthless. It's a bunk trade. Now I can go back on my word because... Because I also didn't like that he made a deal and then was like, no deal, it takes you backsies, and I kill you, I stab you in the back, ha you know? Yeah, I make no <laughs> reservations about it being a really bad theory that does in no way redeem anybody. I hate that theory just as much as I hate what actually happened. But <laughs> if Helen had been in on it, I would have been okay with that. Mm. Hell it's yeah. just the fact that Helen wasn't a willing participant yes. mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. happened, that really bothers me. If it was a ploy the whole time to find a reason to kill the drifter or that perhaps there was potentially some useful information on those pages and was worth trading for, fine. Just bring Helen in. At least tell her about it. Say to her, hey, if he presents me with something that's good enough, This is what we're going to do. We're going to trade you. I'm going to force him to use my boat so that I can interrupt and kill him. If he presents something with a good enough trade. And she would have hated it and she would have said no. But she would have known about it. Yeah, at least known about it. Well, now I just want to imagine a situation where there are lady pirates on a boat that sail around Waterworld and it's sort of a honeypot scheme where they lure in drifters. Exactly, a honeypot. And that's how they operate. Like the Wicker Man? Yeah. They don't burn everything down like the smokers. They don't steal people away to sell them as slaves like the slavers. They honeypot people. They trick people and manipulate them into getting the things that they need for survival. Yeah. You know, in this world, I'm okay with that. This is a missing Mad Max. I'm also okay like, with that. Sequel movie. I'm in. Yeah. I don't think we've had that plot come up in a Mad Max setting that I can think of. Although there were a lot of really low budget Italian post-apocalyptic movies in the past. I'm <laughs> oh. sure someone did. Okay. Honeypot Raiders. My very first thought of a movie with a honeypot is A Boy and His Dog. Oh, that's right. She honeypotted herself all by herself. If you've never seen this movie, it is the most horrendous movie. It's worse than this scene that we just concluded. (laughs) Well, this scene wasn't that bad. (laughs) It's I can't even describe how horrible this movie is. And part of the plot is that this woman, a woman is a rare commodity in this world, 
she honeypots herself to entrap a man and take him where she needs him to go and do what she needs him to do. Hmm. Yep. I mean, hmm. And you're on her side until you see what she needs him to do. Oh, Ooh. well, really I need bad. to watch this movie now. I'm intrigued because <laughs> I, I love like because it's the weirdest part. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in love with the thought of like a Mad Max, but like a Hustlers edition where it's like <laughs> you've got like J Lo, yeah, and, 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 and uh, uh, what's her name, Tiffany Haddish, yeah, just you know, in Mad Max world and just <laughs> being hustlers. I love it. I need this. Tina Turner comes to mind. Yeah, yeah. She Always. would be their boss. She would be the one who organizes them. She would be the one that's on dry land already that like has secret cell phone communications. Like they're the one post-apocalyptic society that has figured it out. Yeah. Yes. Some kind of radio telecommunication system. Yes. And then, you know. yeah, and then she's just, like, sitting on a hill somewhere, just, like, sipping tea. Women get stuff done, man. Yeah. I like it. Tina Turner would be wearing the same outfit. Oh, of course. That she wore in Mad Max. Of course. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh, I love that. That protects so against much slashing fun. damage. Why wouldn't she wear it? Yeah. It's chaining. <laughs> it would not have protected the drifter, because that is clearly a stab. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Piercing damage I'm... cuts right through chainmail, so. <laughs> that looks like he just gets sliced right down the back. It looks like a fillet, like how you yes. fillet a fish. Yeah. I was th- yes, Katie, I was thinking the same thing. It's not gruesome enough. It's like. For a close quarters knife fight, you expect a lot more Small gashes. cuts. Yeah, on both of them. Deep cuts in his torso. And that's how the like fake out is pulled off. He gets out of the below deck, below deck place. Um, We're obviously boat people. Yeah, <laughs> oh, all yeah. the time. Yeah, regular boats. Gets out of it, and you're like, "Oh no, is the mariner dead?" Did no, he, he couldn't have because he kicked the director off of the project. That's how much Kevin Co- Costner is in the movie. Like, he, there was no yeah. way he's going to die in that night fight. <laughs> is this symbolic? Then is this scene symbolic? <gasps> of Kevin Costner's <gasps> takeover as like yeah maybe that's the message behind this whole thing oh my gosh the movie is Helen <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Reynolds didn't leave the project until post-production post-production okay in okay, the okay. editing <laughs> process that was largely Kevin Costner okay but if you want to say okay the drifter represents Kevin Reynolds <laughs> And he keeps the whole scene in. He's like, it could have gotten cut, but no, I want to keep Or they had like whole... alternate pieces of the scene. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So we're going also... to film two different endings. endings. One where <laughs> the drifter pops out first and one where the mariner pops out first. Yeah, exactly. We'll <laughs> focus if... test and see how well it goes. Perfect. Yeah, yep, but I'm... if Waterworld <laughs> is like a choose your own adventure and that's why it's the most expensive movie ever made at the time. You know, they had... <laughs> I've always wondered three about different that. alternate endings. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what was the Netflix? Oh yeah, thing? that's right. Netflix did one. Bandersnatch. That's what it was called. Bandersnatch. Yeah. Never tried it. Me neither. I liked it. Okay. So you know, 
I liked Waterworld and I liked Bandersnatch, so. Did you end up going back and like choosing other choices or were you happy with the movie you got? Well, after doing it a couple of times, like it sets you up to fail. So you kind of get into the loop of, no, I need to know what that other pathway was. So you have to do it over and over again? Yeah, so I spent like six hours on the thing probably. Yeah. Which is exactly what happens with the books, too. <laughs> yes. Like, yep. I would always put bookmark in the place where I made the choice from and go to both choices uh-huh. and, yep. like, uh-huh. see what it was. Which Which one you like better. <laughs> which one I like better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I will always have a memory of a choose-your-own-adventure book. I want to say it was in the Goosebump series. But the uh-huh. whole idea Arlson. of the book is you go into a haunted house. And so at the very Ooh. beginning of the book, they give you the choice. Oh, you're on the front porch of this haunted house. Do you duck this way to avoid someone that's coming up the walkway or do you duck inside the house? And I said, oh, well, what happens if you don't go inside the house? And if and- you duck to not go inside the house, you fall through the porch and you get stuck up to your waist in the wood and the cops come and like, what are you doing messing around with this thing? We're going to bring you home. And that's how Ooh. the book ends. <laughs> oh, that's so great. That is so, so good. Great. I love that. <laughs> I totally know what you're talking about. My favorite ending for that book is where the POV character ends up hanging out with all of the ghosts and monsters in the living room of the haunted house. And they're all just <laughs> watching TV being friends. Oh I love that. Yeah. Such is life. Wholesome. It was pretty great. <laughs> We love wholesome ghosts. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Casual. It's always good to get positive reviews of things. The Drifter <laughs> does not offer any sort of positive review of his time here on the Trimoran. No, he, he wants to go home. He says that he hates this boat, and then he reiterates, I hate this boat, and he is hitting the ceiling and racking things around. Uh-huh. And then we get probably one of the worst examples of ADR in this movie. Oh, I'm so glad you say that. Yep. Where the drifter (laughs) says, you garbage, and it does not match up with anything that you're seeing on screen. It was so weird. It sounds strange. I was going to ask if you've talked about the drifter, the actor, at length yet. Let's see. We We have. talked about Kim Coates back in episode 41, I believe. All right. Now that it's been a few days since we talked about the past few minutes of the movie, I am more in an emotionally calm place where I can talk about how (laughs) physically attractive he is. Oh, yeah. Okay. I found out he's Canadian. Yes. And he was Stanley in Streetcar Named Desire. Mm -hmm. And I love that because he shows his acting chops in... All of his minutes, not just in these two minutes, like he's a very convincing castaway that has gone psychotic and you also feel for him. He's a sympathetic character and you like, yeah, I don't know if I like that he died because like, why? I mean, he's kind of an incel. Like when he (laughs) utters the phrase, you're pretty stingy for a man who's got everything, aren't you then? I'm like, oh, that's. He doesn't have a neck beard, but you know he would. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. I did get the vibe that he's 
grown bitter <laughs> and he's using that bitterness as a weapon against the mariner not knowing the mariner has no feelings so it doesn't really matter and there's like an element of jealousy and i deserve more to that statement that is kind of uncomfortable yeah i don't know i just i'm thinking if he's been on this boat for years maybe and one of the things he says to kevin costner is you're one of the few that still abide by the code and mm. like still stop for a waving flag. And that means he may have not had social contact for oh, a, a long, long time. time. Oh, like he's standing out on the deck of his boat pointing at his trading flags and other boats are sailing and by laughing him at by. him. Yes. He's talking to the post in his boat. When he's out of resin, he's like having a conversation to his boat to console himself, like, I don't know what to trade him then if all he's looking for is resin. Like, he's operating on an even lower scale of needs than the Mariner is because he doesn't have food. He says he doesn't have food. And no contact with anybody. At least the Mariner, like, can breathe underwater and can, like, go through a a museum underwater <laughs> if he's bored, I guess. But, like, the other guy is, like, sun-exhausted and a lunatic, and then it's like, when you take the toy away from the dog, the dog just lashes out because he was like, no, we made a deal. And I would even argue that for him, those pages are the most valuable thing that he owns, whether they're worthless or not to the Mariner. So for him, it's a deal of good value. This is the most valuable thing I have. I literally don't have anything else I can trade you. And he's not like aggressive with Helen. I think he's taken his half hour. He's taken his time. I appreciate the different point of view. It was particularly <laughs> hard for me to talk about these minutes. I feel bad for Rick who has to edit them <laughs> because of the context of mm -hmm. Helen being raped, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yes. But from the drifter's point of view, he made a fair trade. And you're right. It was with the most valuable thing that he owns. And he doesn't know that the Mariner has all the paper he could possibly want. We don't know that yet either. We haven't seen his paper stash. I don't think we have yet. No, that's like uh, when he's comparing Enola's drawings to the like National Geographic. Right. So yeah. that's still a yeah. ways down the road. So from the Drifter's point of view, who is, yes, very, very sick. Mm -hmm. He has not fared well in this world. And frankly, I'm surprised he's still alive. I'm surprised he has not taken his own life yet mm -hmm. at this point. Yeah, to him, it's a fair trade. But also no giving him the benefit of the doubt either because he was also asking to do weird stuff with Enola. So like, ultimately, he's not a good person. Right. He definitely loses points with me for asking about Enola. Yeah. But he and the Mariner agreed. The fault is on the Mariner, right? Yes. The whole thing is all the Mariner's fault. Yeah. Because then I started to think about, like, what if he enlisted the guy? What if he was like, I'm going to make you my lookout. And once I trust you, I'll let you on my boat. If you wanted to, you know, make it a traveling band of fun characters. Yeah. In the <laughs> <laughs> who attacks who? I don't know. We don't see it. The drifter is the first one to pull a knife in the situation. And I guess you could say that the part of the Mariner tonight will be played by 
Paul Hogan from that one scene in Crocodile Dundee, because as the drifter has this little pocket knife, the mariner pulls out his machete. Mm-hmm. And the mariner, he makes sure that he does his head dip thing to glare menacingly at the drifter, and they size each other up. Obviously, here in the movie, the fight takes place off scene. There's a solid 11 seconds where it's just Helen and Enola out on the deck, and then... The drifter pops out, but this is how it is in the novelization. Then the cabin door slammed shut, and Helen ran to Enola, clutching the trembling child to her as the sounds of a terrible battle below deck shook the trimaran like a gale. Screams, and the sounds of objects and men smashing and crashing. She searched around the deck until she found the double-barrel spear gun. It was loaded. Good. Then she turned toward the hatch as it opened, and the drifter crawled out. Dun, dun, dun. The book description does kind of communicate something, I don't know, a little more epic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like super epic or grand or tense, but it's a little bit more than we get in the movie. We discussed in earlier episodes that the Drifter has been alone at sea for a long time, so we really can't fault him for being done with this fight in only 11 seconds. The Mariner being able to finish him off so quickly, it's not that much of a surprise. Poor guy. I don't think he prepared to fight. It was literally like he has devolved. Like he's not at the same operating IQ as even the people that are dehydrated all of the time. Like he's... Yeah, absolutely. He's reacting on like a caveman instinct of being cornered and it's not his boat, so he doesn't know how to get out. Plus, there's not a lot of room to begin with. Yeah, he's not only dehydrated, he's also starved and like mentally ill at this point. Poor guy. I'm surprised that he can even communicate with anybody else at this point. I know. The fact that he's hopeful to make connections with people, it also makes me think that he hasn't seen a woman in eons like the only people he comes across on boats are men i'm kind of surprised in this world where women do seem to be scarce in certain places Mm -hmm. that sexuality hasn't changed to become a little bit more general Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. a body is a body and a connection is a connection still very masculine driven yeah it still seems very like binary it's very much like man must have woman as opposed to like anywhere in the middle. It's post apocalyptic. Like I get that it's made in 95, but you hope that like yeah. if the options become scarce, that people would start to, I don't know, change their thinking. Unless post apocalyptic movies are so interesting to me. Because I was just going to ask if you think that it's in the same universe as Mad Max, but if Waterworld is where the whole Earth has been taken over by water, Mad Max is in a desert, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can't be happening concurrently. No. Unless (laughs) there could be a world where, and this would actually make more sense than Waterworld, that just came up with a whole bunch of extra water that the world doesn't have. (laughs) But if the Earth, I don't know, became like tide-locked and all the water was sucked over to one side... (laughs) So one side of the world was completely covered. 
with water and then the other side was all desert and there was no water at all mm-hmm. so that is just as plausible as water world is <laughs> did we just come up with a new theory on how they're the same universe i just need them all to be i it's mad max so it's all gotta be i need fury road to be happening in the same universe okay i just need it <laughs> that would be so funny because there is a scene later on where the Mariner is like, I know dry land is a myth because I've sailed over all over the place and I can't find it. And if it's the situation where half of the world is covered in water and half of the world is not, then that just means that the Mariner is just not doing a good job of sailing. <laughs> the Mariner is <laughs> just going in a circle. Yeah. Yeah. What if he's going in a circle, but like, Here's the right center of the it. globe, and here's like he's <laughs> going in a circle over here. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, hmm, if only I could turn left. <laughs> Can't turn left. <laughs> See, my brain goes to Zoolander just all the time. Mm-hmm. Like constantly. Because <laughs> then I'm thinking like resources in Waterworld. Like, where are they getting gasoline? Where are they getting their supplies? I didn't know how they had this commune situation. Was it totally self-sustaining, that thing? That pl- that floating thing? Yes, it yeah, was they, self-sustaining. They prided themselves on self-sustaining to the point where they were very regimented with everything. Yes, very regimented with everything. Mm. Because I like having like them getting supplies from Gastown or Guz- Guzzoline... Gasoline. I don't know what they they call it in Fury Road. Go juice. You get what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> they call it go juice. Ooh, that's what Katie and I call our sparkling seltzers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better start stockpiling it for the apocalypse. <laughs> that's what it's all operated on, actually. Yeah. Alcohol. <laughs> oh man. As the drifter is crawling out of the hole in the deck. <laughs> the hatch the that hatch, leads below thank deck. You. The hatch. As thank he's you. crawling out of the hatch, he's saying, where's my boat? Where's my boat? He's saying, Help where's me. me boat? I'm sorry, where's me boat? Where's me boat? <laughs> Help me to me boat. <laughs> Help me to my boat. That made me sad. <laughs> the yeah. drifter is getting so much sympathy in this episode that he has not seen I, for the last three weeks. I have been railing against him. <laughs> for the last few weeks but here like on his deathbed he just wants to go home yeah no he wants to go down with his ship he's a captain he wants to die with his ship he's been on that ship for years and what a disappointment to die on somebody else's boat and that boat has been his constant companion and he just wants to go back and be on his boat his friend yeah kind of makes me sad (laughs) that he doesn't and that he actively wants to. I do like how Helen has the presence of mind to grab a gun and put it on the drifter because Helen is not defenseless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That she fought back against the drifter below deck is one thing, but here she doesn't sit there and fret and wail. She doesn't go all olive oil from Popeye with it. She is ready to fight this guy with a gun, doing the smart thing of bringing a gun to a knife fight. Thank you, Helen. (laughs) But she's ready to engage. It just so happens that he's been stabbed in the back. Doesn't she grab the 
harpoon gun, like, even before anybody, like, she hears them start to come to the top, doesn't know who it is, Uh and already has it just in case. Mm -hmm. Love that. Love that for her. My biggest problem was all of the time spent hanging out on the boat that the Mariner could have been teaching Helen how to operate all of its doohickeys. Absolutely. You know? Instead of possibly damaging his boat and making it irreparable and useless and just floating wreckage and just an idea since you're sitting on this boat for hours together days even right they could you know talk maybe you know just just a little no if rocky horror has taught me anything it's that people have communication problems in general (laughs) what a concept (laughs) what analyzing movies Minute by minute has taught me is that communication would solve so many of the world's problems. Oh my gosh. Just communicate. You were talking about if Helen were in on the trade, if she had given consent to this scenario, and we just discussed the bedroom scenes in Rocky Horror, where the characters are coerced into providing late stage consent, which... It's questionable. And then also there's the greater, I put my tinfoil hat on for this one, that Brad is working for Dr. Scott and Mm. that he goes to Frankenfurter's castle with ulterior motives and brings Janet along unwittingly for her to end up getting raped. And then if I can take the... Denton Affair statements for canon, impregnated by Frank. Oh my goodness, that changes the whole movie for yes. me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, I have so many questions about Dr. Scott, but we could just have you guys onto our podcast and ask you all those questions. <laughs> oh, we can dish. I want to duck back into the book real quick. Please, yes. Where last we left off, the Drifter had just crawled out of the hatch. If he was the victor, it had been a losing battle, for the Drifter was bloody, carved up by his own knife, and whatever humanity he had left in him was pooling up in his eyes as he looked beseechingly toward the woman he had intended to rape. Take me. Take me. Back to my boat. He lurched toward her and she backed up to the mast, aiming the spear gun. Take me! He lurched closer, but she was no longer afraid, lowering the spear gun. Please! And the drifter's eyes rolled back, and he flopped to the deck, very dead. Oh, very dead. (laughs) Very dead. As opposed to mostly dead. Yeah. (laughs) Because mostly dead is slightly alive. (laughs) The next little bit, it says, Then his body seemed to lurch once more, but it was only her host shoving the heavy body up out of the way, clearing the hatch. She couldn't believe the surge of joy she felt seeing him. Anola's face was bursting with a smile as well. That is so gross. Yep. Best case for Helen is that they both died. Yeah. Because yeah. the Mariner's uh-huh. a bad person. Yes. He literally white knighted the situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, uh-huh. we're going to get into that. That upsets me so much that he's the one that sold her. He sold her. Literally. And then he swoops in and gets credit for saving her. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so gross. It's just so gross. Ugh. Yeah. 
And also the novelization is quite a bit more graphic. The novelization depicts the drifter as way more aggressive and way more menacing. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get a lot of his inner thoughts and they are not kind. Mm. I should have read the novelization before coming on today. (laughs) Get the full 200 some odd page novelization and not the 100 and some odd page YA novelization, which completely omits this scene. Surprising no one. Because it is for young adults. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't have the kiddies worried about that. That was almost specifically written for adults. With the drifter lying dead there on the netting, the mariner walks over and takes the necklace from around the drifter's neck and gives it back to Helen. He is returning Helen's necklace to her. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder, is this a sort of peace offering slash apology. Hey, I'm sorry I sold you for sex. Here's your necklace back. It's 100% in his wheelhouse. I think he was planning on tossing the guy off the boat and he knew that it wasn't the guy's necklace and was just taking it and giving it back to her. I don't know if at any point the Mariner is intentionally romantic toward Helen. Yeah. She gets the underwater kiss of life, of breath. And then is like, I need to woo this man. <laughs> it feels like it's like her motivation at that point. And then it does seem very one sided, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. he leaves her really easily. He's like, yeah, not them. Part fish. Literally, I'm not supposed to live on land. Bye. I gotta go. <laughs> See ya. Sorry, babe. Fish gotta swim. <laughs> I'm like a shark. I always gotta be moving forward. Later, babe. <laughs> I do want to point out, as far as the necklace goes, is that Helen voluntarily made a trade and gave that necklace away. Mm -hmm. The necklace wasn't stolen from her. She was not tricked out of the necklace. She made a fair trade for a piece of junk, but she didn't know that. Wait, what did she trade for? I'm forgetting. A fishing pole that doesn't work. That doesn't have any line, and it's like broken in half. And then he tosses it and says, you're never going to catch anything with this, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. But- she did that because he is completely unhelpful. He could have fed them that whole time. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me it's that easy for him to go fishing? Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like food for all, not just. Right. He's not just catching one fish. Yes. Yeah. And he let her make a trade that he knew I mean, was I a guess bad he trade. He's catching but one fish. It's a giant fish. She voluntarily traded away that necklace. So he's not restoring something lost to her mm-hmm. yeah she voluntarily gave it up so i'm really not sure what his like vibe is here yeah it does almost feel apologetic like eventually i'm gonna get rid of this body but in the meantime have your necklace back it is also the first item that he takes off of the dead body because then he jumps onto the drifter's boat and starts throwing things onto oh, the trimaran. Oh, there's so much stuff on this boat. He mm-hmm. better strip that thing so that all he leaves behind is a hull. Yep. Yeah. Take the hull. Like, that's material. The whole thing <laughs> needs to come with. The whole thing needs to come Just with. start ripping boards all off. valuable yep. materials. Yeah. There's copper wiring in there somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he needs to tear this thing down to studs and then disassemble the studs. Right. Yes. Well, studs, mm-hmm. too. 
<laughs> yep. You never know what you might need a stud for. Yeah, stud there, stud there everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of... I was going to say speaking of studs, but that doesn't seem appropriate hey, because the mariner no, pushes the drifter off the back of the boat and <laughs> sinks into the water. Okay, I have a question about this, though. The camera on this scene where he pushes the drifter into the water. Oh, it seems like a totally different time of day, doesn't it? It does. It seems like a totally different quality of camera, totally different time of day, which actually I'm fine with. Because if you waited for some reason to boot the drifter off the boat until after he had ransacked his boat then that would have taken a while. So I'm okay with the time difference. The quality of footage, it feels weird. Seems a little... It's meh. really janky. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I just was surprised at the events that had transpired so quickly. All of a sudden, he was gone. I didn't know why he'd shown up other than to show Helen and Enola that the Mariner is capable of defending himself in hand-to-hand combat i don't know but we see that already yeah like we knew that the mariner could kill somebody yeah Yeah. that was my question too throughout the last few minutes was what are we getting from this are we learning something are they acquiring an object or a piece of knowledge that they need to move forward are we being taught about somebody's nature or abilities not really At the end of the day, the most important thing from this entire scene is that piece of white paper that the drifter held up because it's sort of a Rosetta Stone situation. Mm. It has a bunch of information written up in a bunch of different languages, including the language that is on Enola's tattoo. Mm. So that one sheet of paper is what Gregor is going to use later on in the movie to decipher the tattoo. That is the most important part of this scene. Is that what he says, that it has numbers on it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, see, it's not even easy to make that connection. Yeah. Well, we haven't gotten to that scene yet, and yeah. I'm pretty sure that specific scene is only in the extended version. Um... I hate this movie so much sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that the Mariner pushed the Drifter off the back of the Trimoran, And the drifter sunk down to the bottom of the water. And I'm like, oh, gee, I thought dead bodies float. Well, it turns out I found an article from Slate back in 2005. We're going to ignore the reasoning why Slate would have an article about floating dead bodies in 2005, because (laughs) that's super depressing. Well, now we can't depress Um, What's it in reference to? I'm pretty sure 2005, wasn't that Hurricane (laughs) Katrina? Oh. Yeah. Anyway, according to that article... A cadaver in the water starts to sink as soon as the air in its lungs is replaced by water. Once submerged, the body stays underwater until the bacteria in the gut and chest cavity produce enough gas, such as methane, hydrogen sulfide, and carbon dioxide to float it to the surface like a balloon. As macabre as it is to think, oh gee, dead bodies, it is kind of fun to think that dead bodies float because of bacteria farts. I mean, when you put it that way, it is comical, I guess. <laughs> My face the whole time was just of such horror, though, as you were describing all of it leading up. I was like, Ugh. Meanwhile, on the other hand, me, who is a true crime-obsessed psychopath, I was like, yeah, but even with the bacteria farts, he probably got, like, punctured his gut, maybe, 
a little bit. So that would like help seep out the air and stuff. So maybe he wouldn't float after all. <laughs> At the end of the day, the drifter is just like Jack from the end of Titanic, sinking down to the bottom. Oh, and that's where he shall stay. They've got to let him go. So what you're saying is as iconic as that moment was of seeing Jack sink down, eventually he would have popped right back up. <laughs> In the freezing waters, the bacteria may have had a hard time generating gas. That's true. Although there are bacteria specific to cold water. Sure. Mm-hmm. They would have been in the water, not in his body. But then his lungs would have filled up with the local bacteria filled water and they would have gotten in there anyways. What I'm saying is he would have bobbed back up. You could go that way or you could go in the direction of the fan movie proposed sequel to Titanic where Jack freezes completely solid in a block of ice Captain America style and then they fish him out of the water and melt him and he revives in modern day and he discovers that Rose got old and died and so he's just a man out of time. It's one of my no. favorite YouTube videos of all time. It okay. really is. They did that movie. It was called Forever Young with Mel Gibson. Oh, okay. We talked about this movie. I'm sure we did. Okay, would you guys be smokers in post-apocalyptic society? Would you be people that lived on the commune that's floating? Would you be drifters? Nobody's ever asked that before. What a good question. I would like to think of myself as running an atoll because I could do it so much uh, better than those idiots who were oh doing yeah. it before. I would definitely <laughs> want to be an atoll dweller. Mm-hmm. They were doing it all wrong. The whole world. Everybody is doing it wrong. All of it's all wrong. Start it over. Yep. <laughs> Although the deacon, if I could be the deacon oh, you can in run your charge of the smokers, because they're doing it wrong, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or you could start your own hustlers clan. Mm, I could be Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. Yes. We would join that group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like that saying, always be yourself. But if you can't be yourself, be Tina Turner. Yeah. It never fails me. I like that plan. <laughs> Speaking of the deacon, we cut over to oh. him in the D's. This is a continuation of the scene that we got cut off from back in, I believe, where is it? Oh, so long ago. Episode 39. Like a world away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who made this editing choice? It's so bad. It has got to be the result of this being a quote unquote fan edit. The Ulysses cut is a fan edit. Fans came up with it. I don't know from where they got the footage and stuff, but they came up with the edit. So Universal then takes that and publishes it as a real movie. So they now take ownership of the editing. Of the fan edit. Mm -hmm. And they should be ashamed of themselves. And that's what they restored in 4K? Exactly. Ah, Katie's face right now is just so confused. So when we last saw the deacon, he was mid-conversation with the Nord, and he said, oh, well, that's not very likely. He's a wily one, that ichthy demon. And then normally that scene would not cut and have an entire eight to ten minute scene in the middle of it. Because then when we cut back to the deacon, he not exactly in the same breath, but in the same line of thought says, yeah, if he knows he's been spotted, he'll expect us to expect him to change course which is exactly why he'll keep his heading. 
It's as if the bare naked ladies are going to bust down the door and say, you just did just what I thought you were going to do. Right. <laughs> or in Friends. <laughs> they don't know that we know that they know that we know that they know. Exactly. It cracked me up because it's just like, who is this guy? Who put this guy in charge? And I guess that's kind of the question you're supposed to ask is like, he isn't anybody, right? Is he like the son of somebody or he's just like the strongest person that's operating the boat right now? He's just the deacon. I just... I ex- <laughs> <laughs> okay, admittedly, there are comic books that are meant as a follow-up to this movie, and it is revealed that there is someone layered above the deacon, that there is uh, a right, smoker deacons from those are smokers. not the ones in charge. No, yeah. no. So, they are the peons. Yeah, so this figurehead, this guy who's called the Leviathan, he has deacons, and the deacons control the individual pockets of smokers. So to answer your question... Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Parishes and congregations. And so to answer your question, Mm -hmm. the Leviathan made him the deacon. (laughs) But that requires outside stuff. And so it's extra. Right. Extra canonical. He's a lieutenant. Okay. Right. I don't think it's fair that you have to read extra materials to understand the movie. So as far as the movie goes, this is clearly a cult of personality masquerading as a religion. Sure. So he has the right personality in the right place at the right time to have built this group around it. That's what the movie tells us. Yeah. Sure. But if it's like a self-appointed thing, wouldn't you call yourself like the Pope instead of like, I'm a deacon? Mm-hmm. Right. Why did you choose the deacon? The name, the deacon, it does sound badass. I will give him that. It does. I thought his name was just deacon. If you know your religion at all, you know that there's like, I don't know, 10, 12 offices above a deacon. Yeah. Archbishop also sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just, or just regular bishop. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> in chess, that's like one of the dumb little pieces that looks stupid. <laughs> this is totally based on chess pieces now. He's gotta be. That's my extent of like, knowledge in religion is like i know that there's a pope i know that the bishop is also in chess and i know that there's an (laughs) archbishop because that's a cool name yep there isn't a pope in chess no no Mm -mm. no there should be (laughs) he could have called himself the cardinal yes that sounds a little bit more mysterious Mm. it doesn't necessarily sound badass but more cryptic No, the deacon is perfectly appropriate for a guy who is, how to put it nicely, he's flying by the seat of his pants. He's not exactly thinking out the plan. He's just kind of going full steam ahead on find the girl. Yes. Which I guess also operating on a lower level of needs. Like he knows that she's the map. So what is he supposed to do if not find her? If she's the only promise to dry land is the coordinates on her back, then, which it ends up being the case. I thought it was going to lead somewhere different, but then she ended up being from the hut that they go to at the end. 
So they like do like a no, like a Noah thing where they right. That's Noah. Like no, a Moses um, thing. Thank you, Moses. Thank you. <laughs> we're obviously very well versed in religion. Yeah. <laughs> we're great at this. <laughs> and it's like a totally right back to where she's from. I don't know why he talks out loud so much. He has so many people around him to see him sound like a doofus <laughs> instead of having like one or two close confidants that he's going to go through the plan with. But it's I like feel he tells like... the whole crew all of his ideas. But I feel like oh, yeah. that's kind of what a preacher type human does anyways is like no matter what stupid thing they're going to spout out, they do it to their whole congregation they don't just do the it following. to like their altar boys they do it to everybody so like if you're gonna say something dumb you're gonna say it to everybody you're gonna proclaim it yeah <laughs> this is my right? word hear it like earlier where you said let's have an intelligent conversation i'll speak you listen oh boy <laughs> at the end of the day at least the deacon knows that the most important question is where is the mariner headed at least he arrives at that you got to give him credit yeah. for it the Mariner doesn't even know where he's headed, though. No. The Deacon's not the stupidest one in the room, but I don't know. I kind of feel like the Nord is the smartest one in the room. Mm. But the great thing about the Nord is that we know that he is intellectually capable. Until he gets on the D's and starts drinking because Until he, he gets drunk all the time on that Yeah, boat. on the D's, he just walks around with a bottle of liquor and is a little, like, slightly goofy the whole time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is the joy of being the second in command. Like, okay, we just finished watching Bridgerton on Netflix. Hell yeah. And they made a point of talking about, like, the oldest son is the one who has to be responsible and carry on the family name (laughs) and the family business and all that stuff. The second son, though, has no responsibility and just gets to have fun. Yeah, they get to go to the crazy art parlor sex parties. Yes, they do. Sounds like a little castle in southeastern Ohio. (laughs) <laughs> Frankenstein place. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and then where does Jack Black come in? Is he in this part right now? He is. He is in the scene. Is he sitting? Hanging out in the background. He's hanging out in the background. And the biggest crime of splitting this scene into two is that the scene as we see it now, you can see Jack Black sitting in the back. He's angry crying. <laughs> and he like throws something in anger across the room. But it doesn't make any sense because the impetus for that was, I don't know, 20 minutes ago. (laughs) Feels like it, yeah. So he lost a friend. A friend of his died as he was flying a plane. And so he is all sorts of torn up about it. Wait, he's the pilot on the plane? He's the pilot, yeah. That shoots the, that severs the thing that's stuck in the side of the plane? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice, I didn't even recognize him in that part. Yeah. No one and then, I was shocked. No one does. I was shocked. <laughs> he is one of my favorite human beings, but boy howdy. I wonder if people look back and are like, we should have used him more. <laughs> we should have put him in more of Waterworld. Oh, I'll bet they do. Because he would have been, if he had been cast in one of the other roles. Yeah. Like if the second in command had been cast as Jack Black, and it'd be like a young, wily. His girth to flexibility ratio is astonishing. Yes. Oh, it's wonderful. <laughs> to this day. Yes. I don't know if you guys follow him on TikTok, yes. but if not, like, 
oh, I've seen like the best of TikTok gets brought over to Reddit where I see it. And I saw the Jack Black one where he's like doing this whole routine through his backyard. Mm. Yes. Yes, it was excellent. There's been quite a few, so um, feel free to go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) There's no way to not be happy with that rabbit hole. You just have a good time. Like, (sighs) We love Jack Black over here. Love him. Mm. I love the images in my head of replacing the Nord. The character stays the same, but the actor is now Jack Black. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When he's not on the D's, he has to be wily and intelligent and inquisitive, trying to get people to tell him information, trying to be friendly to the Mariner. That would have been fantastic. Mm -hmm. But then once he gets to the D's, he gets to relax because he's no longer in charge Mm -hmm. and just gets to sit there and affirm everything that Deacon says. And oh, he would have been so great. Yeah. Hilarious Jack Black being just a nincompoop, you know? Yes. A drunken nincompoop. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so the miniatures that they used for the underwater scenes. Mm. Mm. So I had no idea those were miniatures. And then my mind was not even just like blown. It was like artistically and creatively just like, I can't believe how much particular notice went into all of the miniatures that are used and just like oh my gosh you scan over them so briefly and those are works of art those miniatures they're gorgeous i'm excited for that episode because the guest that we have lined up for that episode is the same person who runs the youtube channel called the atoll and they ironically enough, are also local to the state that we live in, but they have Mm -hmm. dedicated their entire YouTube channel to just this movie, and they do deep dives of all sorts of things, including that scene. That's so so awesome. He's very excited to enjoy us, and I'm very excited to have him. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'll be excited to listen. Haley and Katie, it's always good when two drifters meet on the open ocean that something is exchanged. So if you could, for our listeners' benefit... Tell them where they can hear more of your stuff. Well, we're Time Warp Radio on most podcatchers. Yep. We've Apple got Podcasts and Spotify. Spotify and Google and all the... And we have a blog, timewarpradio.blogspot.com, so you can see a bunch of Shadowcast photos and funny videos that you don't want to go through 10 pages of YouTube for, but I did. And you can look <laughs> at all of the good Rocky Horror content that I can find. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram as well. We're yes. Time Warp Radio. Super easy. But yeah, we release new episodes every other week, and we try to make some sense out of the nonsense that is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And uh, oh, this is going to so many com- questions. Yeah, this is going to come out during our season two. So uh, not only Rocky Horror, but also maybe another one of Richard O'Brien's movies as well. Very cool. As for us, listeners, come back next time. The Deacon will dream of somewhere green. The Mariner will try to ignore the women in his life. And (laughs) Helen will let the hunger take over. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tuohy, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. 
Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld Episode 44. We'll see you next time.